The first time our investigations editor, Mike Sikinolfi, remembers hearing about Theranos was back in 2014. I saw a number of magazine covers featuring Elizabeth Holmes, you know, with these provocative headlines like Out for Blood, and, you know, they discussed ways in which she was going to revolutionize the blood testing industry. Theranos had just started offering its much-touted blood test to the public. It had raised hundreds of millions of dollars, and its CEO, Elizabeth Holmes, was in the spotlight. Elizabeth Holmes is unbelievable. She came out of nowhere. She had a phobia for needles, so now she's invented this device to test blood, just a little prick in your finger, and boom, it's done. And she's actually the first under 30 self-made woman in the Forbes billionaire Mm -hmm. list. It was in the middle of this media blitz that Mike heard from one of his reporters. John Carreyrou, who reported to me at the time, came to me with a tip that he'd gotten, basically saying that the proprietary technology didn't work and that they were lying to regulators and all kinds of problems. And so John just started digging into it. He dug into it for 10 months. And what he reported would eventually contribute to Theranos' collapse and the disgrace of its CEO, Elizabeth Holmes. And now... The last chapter of the Theranos scandal is beginning. Tomorrow, Elizabeth Holmes goes on trial for fraud. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, August 30th. Coming up on the show, the trial of Elizabeth Holmes. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. Elizabeth Holmes founded Theranos when she was just 19. Her goal was to do lab tests with just a few drops of blood. And by 2015, Theranos claimed it was able to do that. It marketed over 240 tests for things as routine as checking cholesterol and as serious as detecting cancer. Working with Mike, John Carreyrou set out to determine whether Theranos' claims were true. Unlike a lot of the stories that we do on the investigation side that are based on data or, you know, heavy document dumps, this was a story that John had to sort of piece together kind of the old-fashioned way, with just gumshoe reporting, just tracking down source after source. I think the time that we really realized it could be a, a juicy story is we were on the subway in the spring of 2015, and John told me about his efforts to reach... Tyler Schultz. Tyler Schultz was a Theranos insider who had tried to blow the whistle on problems that he saw at the company. And his grandfather was George Schultz, the former Secretary of State, who was on the Theranos board. And John talked about how Tyler had tried to raise some of the issues that he saw with senior Theranos management, including Elizabeth Holmes. 
and was completely shot down. And then he went to his grandfather to try to tell him to do something to stop the, the, the problems. It was a fascinating sort of morality play where his grandfather basically sided with Theranos and shut him out. And once we heard that there was involvement of the Schultzes and there's sort of these personal stories going on in addition to the technology, you know, we knew it was going to be a pretty cool story. The first two articles in the investigation were published in late 2015. Carrie Rue reported that as of December 2014, Theranos' main product, a blood testing machine called the Edison, was handling only 15 out of those 240 tests the company said it offered. Theranos ran about 60 other tests by diluting the small amount of blood a patient had given and then running the sample on machines from other companies. Former employees told Carrie Rue they were uncomfortable with the accuracy of Edison's results. And experts said that the dilution method Theranos used for the other tests could lead to inaccuracies. When you finally published the investigation, do you remember what that moment felt like for you? It was pretty much relief, but at the same time, it was immediately followed by Elizabeth Holmes, who had refused to speak with us personally. She then appeared on the Jim Cramer show that day and sort of trashed us. Elizabeth, I have to tell you, in all my years, I can't recall a private company that I have to candidly many have never heard of getting this kind of attention and scrutiny. What do you think is going on here? This is what happens when you work to change things. And first they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Just days after those first articles were published, Holmes was a guest at a Wall Street Journal event. Elizabeth Holmes hadn't spoken with us, but here she was going to appear at this technology conference. And she then proceeded to really heavily criticize us at the event. My dad was a reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle. I told you this mm -hmm. just before we were going on stage. And he said to me that the job of a reporter is to tell truth to the readers. And we've seen two articles that were published that were false. And then immediately, everybody picks it up and reprints it as if it's true. She, with derision, referred to John as some guy who was just writing false stories. Nothing has changed. Just because some guy reports false stuff about us doesn't mean that it changes our business. And I remember we were huddled in an office at the journal's headquarters watching it, and when we saw what she was saying about both the story and about the technology, I mean, we knew she was prevaricating, and it just solidified how our reporting was breaking ground and how much more reporting we had to do. What ultimately happened to Theranos? So as a result of the journal stories, the SEC began investigating. The Justice Department launched a criminal investigation. Ultimately, Theranos voided tens of thousands of blood tests. And in the spring of 2018, as the company was on the verge of collapse, federal prosecutors filed criminal charges against Holmes. She was charged with wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Basically, the allegations were that she misled investors and patients about Theranos' technology. Those are the charges that Holmes will now face in court. What to expect from the trial? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. 
we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. Are you excited about this trial? I am, actually. I like trials, so I'm excited to kind of be in court and being with the reporters every day and being with the same group of lawyers. It's kind of a camaraderie-building type of thing. Sarah Randazzo is a legal reporter, and she'll be covering the trial. And could you lay out the two sides of the trial? Yes, so we have the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Northern District of California. And then on the other side, we have Elizabeth Holmes, of course, and her legal team from this law firm called Williams & Connolly. And this is a trial against Elizabeth Holmes personally, not Theranos as a company. Why does that distinction matter? Yeah, so when companies are accused of crimes, it's always a strange thing where it's like, well, you know, how does a company itself commit a crime? And and often there can be fines and kind of monetary ramifications, but you can't put a company in jail. Here, she's personally being accused of this fraud. And so if she's convicted, she could go to prison and any financial impacts will fall on her personally. So really her whole future is on the line. Holmes faces multiple counts of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud, each of which carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. She has pleaded not guilty to all charges. The key to whether Holmes will be convicted or not is intent. Can prosecutors prove that she intentionally misled patients and investors when running Theranos? The big question on the prosecutor side will be trying to prove that Elizabeth Holmes was pitching investors and advertising to patients this technology that she said could do all these wonderful things. You know, you could get a finger prick done, get a few drops of blood taken, and get all of these health conditions tested for. And they're going to say that, you know, as she was touting this, she knew the technology fell short and and couldn't accomplish that. But she continued to press ahead to get these investments anyway and to get patients in the door to use Theranos testing services. How do you expect prosecutors to make that case. I mean, they're going to have to really bring in emails or conversations or or things that witnesses remember of when they told Elizabeth about problems and she seemed to acknowledge them, but then carried forward, you know, because if they can't prove that she knew anything was going wrong, you know, she could just argue, I was the CEO with people below me, you know, we're handling the details and, you know, maybe I didn't realize there were issues. So they're going to really have to try to, to specifically pin her with the knowledge that there were issues with the company's technology and that she continued to publicly tout that it worked. So it's kind of showing what she knew versus what she was saying. Who will the prosecution bring as witnesses? Yes, so we have a list of more than 200 names that could be called as witnesses at the trial. 
given the time constraints, there's no way all 200 are, are going to be called, but it's a pretty wide-ranging list. There's a lot of former employees on there. There's doctors who she, you know, who were pitched with Theranos services. There's investors, plenty of investors on the list. There's even some personal friends. I, I think I saw someone who was a, a massage therapist who I imagine the government could have put on there for the reason of trying to show, you know, the lifestyle she lived, that kind of thing. And what about Tyler Schultz? He's on the list. Tyler's story has kind of been prominently part of the Theranos story because he's kind of the famous whistleblower in this case. Uh, you know, he kind of sent these long emails that later became public laying out all of these very technical problems he was seeing in the lab and issues that were putting patients at risk potentially. And so he's an example of there were people trying to raise issues, but yet they carried on as if nothing was wrong. Sarah also expects prosecutors to call patients to the stand to show the real-world impact of Theranos' failings. Some of these potential witnesses have stories about health scares, like receiving a test that signaled they had a miscarriage or that showed they were HIV-positive when in reality, they weren't. In the lead-up to the trial, Holmes's lawyers had asked the judge to exclude patients from testifying, arguing that their stories were anecdotal. But the judge ruled that patients could testify, with a few constraints. One thing the judge did limit is that he said the patients testifying can't talk about emotional turmoil they went through or kind of the emotions behind getting an inaccurate test. So that was a, a bit of a win for her, but he's continued to say the patients and, and doctors will be on the witness list. They will be able to testify. So what will Elizabeth Holmes's defense team argue? We don't know for sure, but there's a few hints that have come out of what she could argue. The biggest theme is that she'll say that she believed in Theranos' technology, she believed in what they were doing. And so all of these representations she was making weren't false, like the government says. You know, they were true in her mind. And so I think her belief in her own vision and in the company is going to be a big through line in her defense. There's also another line of defense Holmes's lawyers may take. Sarah got some hints about it this weekend after the judge in the case allowed some court documents to become public. The judge was responding to a legal challenge from Dow Jones, the Wall Street Journal's publisher. A new batch of documents was unsealed showing one defense she might bring, which would set her up against her former boyfriend and the number two executive at the company, Sonny Balwani. Can you tell us more about Sonny Balwani and how he and Elizabeth Holmes met. Yeah, so they met when she was still in college at Stanford University, and he's almost 20 years her senior. And then at some point a few years later, they reconnected, and they both started dating, and he also then joined her efforts at Theranos, and he eventually became the number two executive at the company and, and really was co-leading the company with her for, for many years. Sarah says the documents that were unsealed over the weekend show that Holmes's defense team could argue that she was in an abusive relationship with Balwani. She includes details um, accusing him of kind of controlling what she ate, when she slept, how she dressed, throwing things at her even, and kind of monitoring her text messages and emails. Um, so we're getting some details like that that she's saying were aspects of their relationship. And I should say that Mr. Balwani's lawyer, uh, you know, unequivocally denies that he committed any, any abuse and really, uh, you know, has denounced everything in these filings. And how does this alleged dysfunctional relationship play into Holmes's defense? Yes, yeah, so she might try to use it to bring what's called a mental health or mental defect 
defense, basically saying that the psychological impact of this relationship and abusive tactics that he allegedly did, uh, you know, kind of had control over her and that that Holmes could argue she lacked the intent to deceive because of her deference to Balwani and that basically she's trying to say that his dominance of her maybe led her to believe things were true that that weren't. And what do you know about whether Elizabeth Holmes will testify? In these newly released documents that we got this weekend, it came out that a year and a half ago, her lawyers told the court she would testify as part of this mental health defense. Things can always change. They might not even bring this argument related to Balwani. So if they don't, she might not take the stand at all. But at the time, her lawyer said that she would. Why is the Elizabeth Holmes trial so hotly anticipated? So when Theranos went out of business a few years ago, it was a really closely followed story. People had a lot of interest in kind of seeing the rise and fall of the Silicon Valley darling. And people had a lot of opinions at the time over whether fraud occurred or whether it was just a bad business model. And so this trial is kind of the culmination of all of those opinions that people had. And in a way, Silicon Valley itself is going to be on trial. How do you mean? I just think a lot of startups in Silicon Valley pitch investors with big visions and lofty ambitions, uh, and they don't always have the goods yet to deliver. And so I think part of Elizabeth Holmes' argument could be Theranos was intending to create this great product and we weren't trying to be fraudulent. And so I think that kind of concept of, of where's the line between embellishing to investors and having to have your product available and and ready, I think that line will kind of be at play throughout the trial. That's all for today, Monday, August 30th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.